0: Well, again, we're glad that you're here at Grace. Thanks for being with us. We've got a lot of things happening all week long. Sometimes we're trying to give you a heads up on some of that. Of course, our Upward Basketball is in full swing. Hundreds of kids. I think I heard over 400 kids are enrolled for that. That's we're in our third week. So that's been great. I know a whole bunch of you are involved in that. It takes a lot of volunteers to make that happen. And we very much appreciate you. And then things are going well in Paulding, our, our campus there. And also, as Zach was mentioning, Grace Point. We actually have 16 families already that have expressed interest in, in maybe going there, getting more information. So we'll see how that pans out. But we're, we're excited about what maybe God's doing at Grace Point. We have other ministries going on that we rarely mention. For example, uh, we have week here, preschool and kindergarten that happens during the week here at Grace. And this is their time for registration for the next school year and if that applies to you, you might want to jump in on that because a lot of those spots are filling up quickly. But a lot of things going on. We're excited. of course, tonight is Fight Club, and I'm, I'm pumped up about Fight Club. So we've got that happening, and you hear a little bit about that. It's, we call it our kickoff event, 10 o'clock tonight. As Zach said, coming doesn't mean that we are locking you into anything. It just gives you the opportunity to hear what it's all about and see if you want to take the challenge the last 10 weeks. Actually, we will start on Wednesday, so you have a little time there before it gets going, but we'd love to have you. As a matter of fact, we've heard from some of the guys before the service. I think we heard from Shane and Nick, and then a well while ago, we heard from Chris, but some of you might want to hear a wife's perspective. Anybody want to hear that? Yeah, you will. Now, tune in. Uh, this is Amy Spell. She talks fast. You got to hear it. She's hilarious. You got to check it out.
1: the first when we first started coming here they they advertised Fight Club and when I first came into faith I was all in like if I was gonna find God I was gonna find him that day so Fight Club pops up on the board and I'm like you're you got to do this you're doing this this is what we do they said we got to call and do this and so the first time he didn't make it because clearly it was me being the boss and um, the second time I still was the leaky roof wife they talk about in Proverbs, like total leaky roof naggy wife. And he made it through and I was fired up. I was the proud wife as he's walking across the stage. And then this time came around and I didn't say a word. I didn't say one word. And um, Nick started talking about it. And I'm like, okay, that's, you know, that's great. It's my club. And then um, he signed up for it and he started doing it. And I could tell he was just kind of flustered. And I still didn't say anything. Not really encouraging, not trying to boss, not honestly just sitting back and watching. And so I really saw him start to um, time manage better is the first one. Like his job is pretty demanding. So um, he would get up at like 5 a.m. and go work out and um, do all of his responsibilities for his job, do all the household stuff. Um, He started helping me so much more and not even just helping me, helping me without complaining and initiating it and for me the initiation was like whoa the holy spirit has just straight hijacked my man <laughs> so it was really cool to watch that aspect coming into it especially since for me i didn't say anything i wasn't the wife who husband would rather be in the desert <laughs> um so that was a big deal for me so think of all the things I got to reap from that. One, I got to see God face to face through my husband. Um, it was literally like having a front row seat of Jesus chiseling the heart of my husband. It's like when you, when I have a front row seat and I get to see God face to face in those moments. It, it really does fire me up in a way to be a better wife, to more joyfully submit, to joyfully respect, rather than it be out of duty or or make it a habit. It was literally a choice out of joy. I would say for the other ladies whose husbands have participated in Fight Club or want to or think about it, just step back and this is really the time to faithfully and watch God. Because again, I will, it's that front row seat, and Jesus right in front of you, it is such a privilege to be that close to someone to watch Jesus work. So, I mean, when I stopped, or when you stop, you can just watch.
0: Did not she do a good job? Yeah. We heard Nick, I don't know if you heard early enough to hear Nick at the beginning of service. Wait, Nick's got a firecracker on his hands here, I think, so with Amy, but just talk about the practical realities of life, how we bring our Christianity into that. That's what Fight Club is about for men, and we'll talk a little bit more about it later. But we're in a new series, and our new series is called Gladiators, and it's about how to stand firm in a broken world. We get the world's broken, right? It's messed up. You can watch the news, whatever. We have wars, ISIS. Islamic extremism, people don't like to mention, all this stuff going on. We have persecution. We have persecution against Christians. Every day, in many countries of the world, Christians die for their faith. We just don't hear about it that much, but it happens. How do we stand in that? How do we live in the broken world? How do we stand for God? That's exactly what Paul talks about. And he does it in... Ephesians 6 and we'll turn there in just a moment but what God's saying is the world has been broken it's been broken because something it's rebellion against God something the Bible calls sin and really that's why Jesus had to come and and not just teach us a better way but die pay the penalty for our sin so through faith that we can be forgiven and start a brand new life with him but even with that new life as a believer, and even though ultimately the battle is already won, your eternal destiny is confirmed, it's, it's guaranteed if you respond to, to Jesus in faith, there's still the matter of practically living out every single day. And that's what Ephesians 6, that's what Ephesians 6, gladiators, is all about. Now, I got to tell you, this passage of scripture, it's a little dark because it talks about our struggle. It mentions the devil and the devil's attacks on us. and, and we, don't, we don't talk a lot about the devil. You know we, we talk a lot more about Jesus, just like the Bible does. That doesn't mean the devil is not a reality. As a matter of fact, he is. And don't want to get all, all freaky on you or anything, but Satan is, is a reality, and we need to talk about that, and what we do, what we are to do, what God tells us to do in light of that reality. And that's a little bit what we're going to talk about. The Bible has a, maybe a much more complex view of evil than people realize. It. Basically, evil comes from three sources. One is just simply called the world, and that's the system of the world, the world's systems that tend toward evil, toward wrong. And then the second source is the flesh. That's inside of all of us. The the broken part in us that we've inherited because of sin. And then the third is Satan or the devil. An actual, real, malevolent force arrayed against us. And there is a danger in treating the devil like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, we hear about it, but... We're not buying it. There's a danger in that. We need to, we need to make sure of what we're doing. The problem is, when you start talking about that, when Christians start grasping that there is a real uh, evil personal force in the universe, a lot of times Christians react in one of two errors. Number one, they will... Ascribe too much power to Satan, and that's when everything that goes wrong—that's Satan's fault. The devil made me do it. I mean, everything that happens to me—that's on him. Satan's fault. Or the other error is they ascribe too little power to Satan, and that is nothing that ever happens is Satan's fault. It's, it, there's nothing to it. It's he, he's he's the boogeyman. He's like Ness monster. It's not even real, kind of a thing. Paul tells us he's got the balanced view and he tells us how to live with this tension, this reality in the world and that we're confronted in our lives. I know for us, we hear about the devil and Satan. To us, that, that sounds just a little, a little off, a little different in our culture, like a Stephen King novel. But it's real. And here's what he says, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, I want us to pick up reading in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, The thing about this passage is Paul uses a military metaphor, which is a little unusual in all the metaphors he uses. But especially in today's day, it can be easily misunderstood. And some people would say it's unfortunate in a day of Islamic extremism, ISIS, all this, now a military metaphor being used for Christianity. A lot of people don't like that. But the Bible uses all kinds of metaphors, right? Plants, animals. Athletics, relationships, family. We have all these metaphors. Military metaphors are less used, but they're used as a tool to communicate something to us. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to do. And I think that Paul used specifically this military metaphor to teach us three realities that we need to know as believers. Number one, you're under command. Number two, you're under attack. And number three, we need to use the armor that God has provided for us. So those three things, I want to work through those through this passage. Number one, you're under command. That's what's unique. It's interesting because as you read the book of Ephesians, I mean, chapters one and two is laying out the gospel is one way you can look at it. Then chapters 3 through 5, especially the first part of chapter 5, is really telling us how to live in, in, in light of the gospel. And, and he could have ended right there in the middle of 5 and just said, love Paul, done, let her over. But he doesn't. He starts giving us specific instructions for different roles that we have in our life and in our relationships. And then he wraps up with this military metaphor teaching us how we are to stand firm in the face of an enemy that's out to destroy us. He tells us how to live in a fallen world. He gives us an example of a soldier. Now, when he uses this illustration of a soldier, we... I think one thing that we need to get, especially in this point, is a soldier has a different mentality than a normal person. A normal person who works a normal job, you work under agreement, and that is that you're going to provide this much labor, this much work, this much effort, and then you agree with with your employer that he's going to compensate you X amount of dollars for that labor, that effort that you put in for him. But we never use words like obey in in the normal work environment. I mean, could you imagine your boss calling you in and you come to, to his or her office and he says, look, are you going to obey me in this or not? And we'd be like, whoa, what kind of power trip are you on? Because... In a normal job, if our employer asks us to do something outrageous or something dangerous, we can just say, no thanks, I quit, right? And and so we don't use words like obey. But in the military, that's exactly the terminology they use, right? We can easily see a commander saying to a subordinate in the military, you will obey me in this, right? That's the difference. And we need to to grasp that. We are not operating under God of the universe, under agreement. He's our God. We, We obey him. Paul's trying to teach us something right here in this passage. He's telling us we're under command. We need to obey God. I think a lot of times we feel like, well, yeah, I obey God. Well, Let's test this. Let's dig just a little deeper on this. First test. When's the last time that you did something that you really, 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 really didn't want to do, but you only did it Because God said to do it. Because that's what it means to be under command. Or, when is the last time that you did not do something that you really, 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 really wanted to do, but you did not do it because God said don't do it? Because if you can't look through your life and see some of those things happening then the danger is that maybe you're just serving God and living under God and sort of under agreement rather than under our Savior, our Lord, our God. Because we should find ourselves doing things that we wouldn't normally do just because God says do it. That's a test if we're really obedient or not. We see this playing out all the time it, in, how, in warfare and in how war is depicted in the movies? We've all seen war movies, right? And, and let's say it, it's a lieutenant and he's moving his platoon. They're fanned out a little bit. They're in enemy territory and they're moving through. They know there's the enemies around. They're under fire and then they're hunkered down. We've all seen this, right? And then the lieutenant does something like this. You know, he signals two guys, get up, go, you know, go around, try to flank, whatever. And then what happens? Two guys over there jump up and they start moving. And what's happening there? Well, the lieutenant's sending them to do something. And and he's sending them somewhere. And basically, they, they don't know what's over there, right? Basically, all they know is where he's sending them to go is probably less safe than where they are right now but yet they get up and they do it. Why? Because they're under command. What you never see in the movies is the lieutenant doing this, and then the guy's doing this. (laughs) You know, you just don't see that, right? I mean, that's what we would expect. That's how it happened in a regular job. No way! You go do that. You're crazy. Why does that happen? Because they're under command. We are under command in the same exact way. And we need to constantly remind ourselves that Jesus is not just our boss. He's our Lord. And He demands obedience, not just agreement. And and you know what? And obedience, although it's hard, it's the best thing for us. That's how God operates in our lives. So first of all, we're under command. Secondly, we're under attack. That's what what Paul's telling us here. We don't always feel that, especially in the West, especially in America. We don't feel that we're always under attack, but we are. Check out verse 11. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. This word scheme, Greek word, just means the strategies of the devil. Another way to look at it is, in this world, because Jesus has already come, we stand on ground that's already won by Jesus. And we're holding the ground, but we're still being attacked it's like a counterinsurgency from the evil one who's trying to gain the ground back. And so we're constantly under attack. It's, and then look at verse 12. He continues For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual surf- forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And, it's, what's interesting about it is this. We, he's saying it's a struggle. We're, we're in a struggle. The word struggle, if you were reading this in Greek, you'd notice he's using a, a word that we don't expect because there's a lot of words for warfare and battle, and he doesn't use that. Actually, Paul uses a word that only appears this, only, this is the only time that it appears in the New Testament. And it, it's a really easy word for us to understand it's the word wrestle. Because they had the Olympic games. They had wrestling Is using that word. Nowhere else in the New New Testament. And he shifts. And a lot of people wonder, okay, you you had the military metaphor going and now you shifted to wrestling. Why'd you do that? And it's a sudden shift and it's not the word we expect and there's a reason that he's doing that. Why is he doing it? I remember I I wrestled a little bit when I was in ninth grade wrestling. It's the first year of wrestling. I didn't know much. I was brand new at wrestling. I barely made the team to go travel to another school. If you've ever seen wrestling match, the way they did it back then is one team lined up, they, they sat in chairs on one side of the mat and the other team on the other side of the mat, and they sat by their weight class. And so when the lighter guys are wrestling, the rest of us are sitting and we're looking over at the other guy that we're gonna wrestle, and we're sizing them up, you know what I'm saying? So I'm looking over, and there's this muscle-bound kid that looks like he belongs in the weight class higher. He actually looks better, bigger than the guy in the higher class sitting next to him. And I'm going well, they're probably just in the wrong seat. No. So it comes time for me to wrestle. This guy jumps up. I'm like, oh. He and and I'm getting right, I'm clearly outmatched. The guy actually drops down as they call us to the mat and does 50 push-ups oh. before we meet on the mat, you know. And my whole team knows I don't have a chance. (laughs) This guy, he's he's confident. He's stronger than I am. He's more experienced than I am. He's more confident than I am. I mean, to compare to that, I have no confidence, weakness compared to this guy, and no experience. What I have is what coaches call scrappy. You know, so (laughs) scrappy. So I go out there, and the whole team, they're basically going, Well, clearly, Kevin is outmatched, so we'll just hope that, you know, if he loses, they get so many points, but if he gets pinned, if he gets stuck, then that's even more points. Maybe, maybe he can last and not get stuck. I mean, they say wrestling is a team sport, it's really not. I mean, you're out there one on one, and some beast, is just focusing all of his energy, there's no team, it's all of his energies are focused on whooping you. And so he drugged me and threw me like a rag doll for three periods. And this is gonna be one, you're probably thinking, then tell the story how you came. No, he stuck me like Moses to a flannel graph. I mean, (laughs) bam, third, third period, I was done. And I'm wondering why didn't I just let him stick me in the first period? And save myself the beating that I've taken for the last 15 minutes. It was a massacre. I mean, please don't I'm state that. He's using this term. Think about wrestling. I never really wanted to wrestle. Bunch of sweaty guys, you know, mauling each other. It's just, I, I did it because I thought maybe this would make me a little tougher. You know, so I, I did wrestling. I just, I forced myself to do it. What's Paul saying here? He's got this military metaphor going, and then he shifts. He's like, because you're you're in a wrestling match. What he's telling us is this this is a close, sweaty, intimate, hand-to-hand fight for your life that you're engaged in. That's the picture that Paul is, is putting out there for us. And when you wrestle, and we do, when we wrestle with Satan, there is always a winner and a loser. A winner and a loser every time. And and it's because that we're under, we're under command, we're under attack. And because we're under command, under attack, we need to put on the full armor of what God provides for us so that we can have power. Power of his mighty power is what it says. And we need to learn how to put on this armor piece by piece so we can make use the great power that God makes available to us. It's at our disposal. It's God's armor. It's not our stuff. Satan is a supernatural, powerful, malevolent force who hates us and hates the God we serve. And you need God's armor because your scrappiness is not going to get it done. You are outclassed. Without God's help, your willpower, your intellect, your desire, not going to stand up. It will be a massacre. If you notice, I just kind of used that illustration. I kind of turned the guy wrestled into Satan there. Yeah, it's a little pastoral payback.
2: You know, <laughs>
0: years later. But anyway, it will be a massacre. It's just a pastoral thing. Yeah, forget it. If you if didn't get that. It'll be a massacre. We need God's armor that's at our disposal, that he offers us so we can experience his power as we do battle that he's telling us all of us will do. A lot of times sporting events, wrestling, football, they, they rely on scouting reports to... To know the opponent. To anticipate what might happen. Paul, he's done the scouting report for our enemy. And and Paul tells us through scripture, there's other letters, he tells us basically, Satan has one primary go-to move that he always uses. One move. You got to expect this. Be ready for this. And here's what Paul says it is. He is a liar. He is the father of all lies. He is a master deceiver, and that's been his go-to move since the beginning of time. Remember the garden. Adam and Eve. Perfect garden. Everything's right. God says, just for obedience, one tree... One tree. This is the only tree. Don't eat from this. Everything else is yours. Just one thing, no. And here comes Satan. And what's he say? Oh, what what, what an idea for that! Is is that what he told you? No, no, no. Boom. She falls. Adam falls, and the result of that is a dark swath of sin and evil that started in the garden, has gone all the way down through human history today and is even present in our own hearts. He is a master deceiver. So, what Paul's telling us here is we need to gird up with God's truth in our life. The trouble is, there's a lot of deception in our world. There's a lot of lies in our world. We we see that probably every day. If you watch TV, probably just about every commercial you see. Lies. You wear this aftershave, women will fall all over you. You buy this car, everybody, your neighbors, will be jealous. But that's not the worst of it. All those lies, that's that's not the most destructive. The problem is those lies, lies like that, have invaded our own hearts. And how do we know that? Here's, Here's a test so you can know. Every time... You intentionally do something that's wrong. If you're never thinking you're doing anything that's wrong, you don't, you need to study up a little bit more on what wrong is. But anytime you find yourself intentionally doing something wrong, what is the self talk that you're hearing in your mind and your heart? These are the lies that have entered our hearts, our lives. For example, before you do something that's wrong, that God says not to do, we tell our things things like this. Well, it's just this one time. This isn't so bad compared to other things that I could be doing. I'm different than most people. I have a bigger need in this area. Nobody understands where I'm coming from. This, if, if I do this, I will get some satisfaction that I very much need. If I do this, I will experience contentment. And we never do. It's all a lie. And it's lies we tell Ourselves, And so what do we do to battle that? Well, that's what Paul's saying at the beginning of verse 14. He says, stand firm, therefore. And then he, he throws out the first thing. We're just covering one today. He says, having girded up your loins with truth. Having girded up your loins with truth. Now, that's some weird language for us. But what that means is, In ancient times, Old Testament, New Testament, men wore robes, right? Men wore long robes. that almost touched the ground, right? Right. Right. And so if they were going to do any physical labor or they needed freedom of movement or they were going to fight, they would grab their robes, gather them up and tuck them into their belt so their legs were free to move. And respond. And that is called girding up your loins. It's just the action of tucking up your robe and getting ready for action. So, this girding up your loins, in, used in that sense, it's used all through the Bible Old Testament, New Testament. Maybe one of the most famous times is when Job, the book of Job, you have this guy named Job, and he is a devout follower of God. And there's some things behind the scene happening that Job doesn't know about. And then there's this succession of devastatingly evil, bad things happen in his life. Boom, boom, boom. And he's just crushed. He's devastated. And then Job's friends come in and they try to help him, console him a little bit. And then they start sitting around asking the why question with Job. So Job, the friends, they're doing the why question thing. And then they say, well... It has to be, you must have done something wrong that offended God. And Job says, kind of cocky, he says, that's not it. And then, how do you know it's not it? You must have done something. Nope, nope, that's not it. And then, because of this conversation, Job's blood gets up a little bit. And then he says, I have done nothing to offend God. And he starts saying, and if God were here... I would tell him a thing or two. If God were here right now, he's telling his friends, I would make my case and he would have to defend himself for what's happened to me. If God were here, I'd climb into the ring with him. And then God showed up. And God says, tuck in your robe, Job. Because we're going to do this thing. And then he explained to Job and when that was over, Job went out with a whimper. Gird up your, get ready for action. Gird up your loins, he says, with truth. It's the first thing you do before you put on the armor. If you didn't do that as you put on the armor, it'd be a major hindrance. It'd almost be like, what's the point? It would be like In our modern military, a guy, he's ready for battle, right? He's got the flak jacket, the helmet, he's armed, he's ready to go. And then his pants are down at his ankles. (laughs) I'm ready. You know, it's the same picture. Get your pants up, put on your armor, gird up. And then he says, gird your loins with truth. And, And although he's not mentioning the belt. The belt's imply that you're all talking. It's the belt of truth. That's what he's saying. You got to believe God's truth. You got to know it. You got to believe it. You got to ingest it. You got to make it personal. You got to apply it. Because you need God's truth to counteract all the lies that you hear, but even the lies that you tell yourself. You got to have God's truth. you got to have that discipline. Probably don't talk about this enough. As believers, we need discipline in our lives. And it starts with truth. Because the truth alters our perception and we see the reality around us that it's easy to have clouded in our minds. The truth brings in to sharp focus the reality of our life and everything and everyone around us got to have it. God's truth. And God's offering. And we need to take it. And we'll be talking about more of this next time as we go through some of these pieces of armor on how practically we can put these to effect in our life but it starts with the discipline of knowing God's truth and so we preach and teach and we're in groups and we do these things that's also why we do this challenge for men called fight club I want you to hear from one more guy. And if you're feeling, as we go into this, it seems like a commercial, right? Yeah, it's like a commercial, only oh, it's a true one. Lead one more leader of Fight Club, his name's Troy Clapp.
2: One way Fight Club's impacted me is that it helps me with day-to-day things like spending time in the Word and prayer time. Another way is like with my wife, with my crazy work schedule, it helps discipline myself to spend time with her. One of the best parts about Fight Club is being able to spur other men on and being an encouragement to other people. Often we get relaxed and we wanna give up, but I think the the best thing we can do is just to encourage one another and and push each other not not to give up. One of the issues we have is men will often get relaxed or lazy and we feel like things are too busy or we don't have enough time. When, if you think about time, there's men that are way busier than you are, and when you think that your plate is full, someone's plate, they're carrying two more plates than you have. I think that the discipline of Fight Club is necessary. I think that even if we're tired now, we need to you know, keep fighting and, and keep going, and the next Fight Club, we need to enter back into it and, and do our best to finish it again. I told my wife that if I ever decided not to do Fight Club that she needed to kick me in the butt and send me out the door and to to go to the kickoff event because I feel in my life it's necessary that I need the discipline and it just helps me be a better husband and a better father. So
0: let me close with this, men, uh, tonight 10 o'clock kickoff, it's a kickoff event We don't have very many meetings. If you don't have time, we get no time. We understand that. There's actually, after our kickoff event, which hasn't even started yet, there's just two times we get together in ten weeks. In the middle and at the end. All the rest of it is, uh, why are we doing it at ten o'clock? So we're not affecting your family, we're not affecting, we're not taking time away from your kids, we're not taking time, hopefully, away from your wife. And and we know that, that guys work at different times and that works for most people but not everybody coming tonight doesn't mean you're in it just means you have the you'll hear about it and then you have the option of of doing it or not doing it if you know you can't be here tonight but you want to do it it starts Wednesday actually and again there's no meetings to this then you can leave your name at the information table we'll include you if you want to do it even if you can't be here tonight just one more thing if you don't want to do it I totally get that. But maybe, what, what, what I'm asking you to think about is maybe that God wants you to do it. If God wants you to do it. Because maybe that will help you be a better follower. Then you should do it. And for all of us, we should do something to ratchet up our lives because we are gladiators that God wants and he wants us to stand firm in a broken world. Let's stand together for prayer. Father God, we we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for loving us. It overwhelms us. Lord, we thank you. And we heard people sing about that today. Lord, that you offer us grace and forgiveness from our sin, even though none of us deserve it. And, And you just, you offer it as a gift of grace, that we simply respond, we receive it just by faith. God, we thank you for that greatest gift. And and once we receive that, that our eternal destiny, it's locked down. But still, Lord, you're telling us that that it's a struggle in this world, and we need to be prepared. And God, we thank you for that. But thanks for loving us. Thanks to you for giving us the information. And giving us the armor that we need to stand firm in a broken world for our families, Lord, for our church, but most of all for our Savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're gonna continue in Gladiators next Sunday and we will not talk about Fight Club. I'll see you then.